get started here this morning. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want to say a few things uh, before we get started here. First of all, guests, we're really glad that you decided to join us today. Um, I, again, I would love to get to meet you after the service. I'll be down front somewhere in this sector. We'd just love to get a chance to say hey and meet you and see who's here. The other thing is this. You probably got these little things as you came in. If you didn't get one of these, uh, we'll, in a moment we'll, we'll go through this, but we're going to try communion today. And we're trying to do it with the existence of COVID, so it's going to be a, a little bit different. That's why we're handing them out this way. We will do this together at the end of the service. I'll walk us through that, and hopefully uh, this does not become an awful experiment gone gone poorly. Um, but the good news is it's the right size cups for communion because we would never want anything bigger this when it came to the grape juice. Um, and my other announcement is this. Uh, Wednesday nights, we're canvassing our neighbors here in the Macon Street community. We started that last Wednesday night. That was not a one-time thing. Uh, we're going to do every house in that neighborhood. We want to collect as much data about how we can serve our neighbors and help make our, our neighborhood and our community a better place. So uh, if you have nothing to do on Wednesday nights and you don't mind knocking on strangers' door and saying, how can we serve you? Listen, it wasn't as bad as you think it might be. It actually went really well. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. It, it might even be something that's not too bad for introverts. So just, this is not the used car salesman knocking on the door. Uh, they are nervous when you first walk up, knock on the door, as anyone would be. But um, by the end of it, I'm just telling you, we're praying with the people. They're coming out to, to talk with us. And so, listen, I, I believe this is a great step for us as a church to reach out to our neighbors. So if you're free Wednesday nights at 6, we're doing it probably through October or until we're done or until it gets too dark starting at 6 o'clock for us to go out, out knocking on in neighborhoods' doors. So um, there you go. We have that. Let me, let me pray before we get started here. Um, I wanted to make those announcements, but before I get started, here's what I want to do. I, I want to pray, and I want to ask God to help me teach, and I want him to ask all of us to help us listen. That's, that's one of the reasons we're here today, and so I don't want to just assume that we can do this on our own. So would you join me in praying? And just bow your head and close your eyes. And, and right there in your seat, I don't, I don't know if you feel heavy today. I don't know if you feel distracted. Um, wh whatever you're feeling, maybe you're feeling like you're ready to worship. I, I don't know. But however you're feeling, would you just, if you're feeling heavy or distracted or there's something burdening you, would you just take a moment and just tell God what's bothering you and ask him to help? And, and if you're feeling happy, listen, just take a moment and praise him for being good and kind and huge and strong or whatever it is that pops into your heart to praise him for. And would you ask him to help us during this time, help us to listen and ask him to help me teach? Heavenly Father, God, we just come to you right now and we just confess that whether we're in a good mood or whether things are heavy, whether things are going great for us, God, we confess that we need you. We need you and we want you. And God, we also believe not only that we need you, but we believe that you, you want us to, to be helped by you. God, we believe that you look at us with favor and kindness, that you smile at us regardless of our performance. God, we believe that you are good and gracious. And God, we want to hear from you today. And we also believe that you want us to hear from you. So God, we're asking. We're asking you would help all of us listen to your word. 
God, I'm asking you to help me to teach. I, I don't want to do this on my own. I, I want you to, to do whatever you want to do. Um, so, God, I'm asking you to work in hearts despite my frailties and weaknesses and inabilities. But, God, I'm, I'm praying you would show yourself strong and good and glorious to all of us here today. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And as uh, you turn to Philippians chapter 4, as I was reading these verses that we're looking at today, it's actually the verses we'll be looking at for several weeks, uh, I remembered an Arabic relative of mine. His name is, uh, we called him Uncle Abu Wael. I don't know how many of you have uncles named Abu Wael. Uh, Yes, Uncle Abu, I know, any Aladdin jokes. Go ahead and get it out of your system right now. Uh, but he, was, he wasn't an immediate uncle. He was like a great uncle. But they're all, in, in the Middle East, they're all cousins. They're all uncles. That's kind of the way it works. So this 90-year-old man, uh, Uncle Abu Wael, uh, he was an awesome guy. Uh, he was an old-school Arab that was in his 90s, uh, still married to the same, same woman for all these years. They still flirted with each other. Um, it was an awesome thing to watch. And one of the things that when you got together with Uncle Abu Wael, he would, he would always kind of tell me the same stories over and over and over again about when the British came and all this other stuff. Like he just had all these stories about his time in Jordan and in Jerusalem. And one of the things that he he would share as he would get to a story, he would then go on this, this thing that he would do where he would just start telling you all of like his, his wisdom instructions. It, it wouldn't be connected to the story except for maybe one of them, but he would always say like four or five things. Like he'd say, five, you need to love your wife. You, you need to love your family. You need to forgive people when they're wrong. You don't talk bad about them when they're mean to you. Like don't talk bad about anyone. Be nice to people. Forgive people. He would just go boom, 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 boom. Anybody have any relatives that were like that? Okay, it's an Arab thing, apparently. Um, but this is what this man would do. He was awesome, man. He was a super godly guy, and he was always encouraging forgiveness and kindness to people. That's what, that's what he would do. He'd go down his list. And every time I got together with him, uh, he would, it wasn't very often because he was in the Middle East and I was here, but when we would get together, he would just give his list of all these things. And, and as I think about that, that's the exact type of thing that Paul is doing at the end of his letters. Paul does this all the time in his letters. He gets to the end of the letter and he starts going off in almost like rapid fire not really connected with a flow of thought. He just goes through this list of commands. Do this, do this, be this, don't do this, make sure you do this. It's like Uncle Abu Wael, which would make sense if you knew him. That's exactly what Paul is doing at the end of the letter. And, and after all these weeks, after 32 different weeks in the book of Philippians, 32 weeks, how long-winded can I be? After 32 weeks in a four-chapter book, we are now nearing the end. And As all good Baptist pastors, that means we have a whole chapter left. As I say, we're nearing the end. But here's Paul, and he's about to start his rapid-fire list of instructions. So we're only going to do two of those so far. And let me remind you where we've been in the book of Philippians. Paul is probably sitting in a Roman prison cell. He's in prison for for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to one one of his most loved churches, the church in Philippi. And he's telling them, hey, I know that you're suffering persecution and pressure right now. And I want, to, I want you to know something. Jesus is better. He, he's better. Like, listen, even if everything around you feels like it's crumbling, Jesus can make you happy. Listen, even when everything is great, Jesus can make you happy. Jesus makes us all deeply, deeply happy. 
And he also says, I know there's some fights going on among you. I want you to know this. Listen, Jesus actually helps us fight well with one another. He helps us to love one another. Like He actually unifies us. And because of the work of Jesus, we're not satisfied when there's rifts in our relationship. We pursue one another with grace and mercy and truth and love and forgiveness. We're not okay with a gap between us. We pursue one another. Jesus does that to us. He makes us happy in the midst of everything awful going on, and he makes us pursue one another with love and good relationship. He helps us fight well is, is basically how I would say it. So Paul's been saying that, and he, he just threw down with Iodia and Syntyche last week or the last verses, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 is what we're doing today. Let me read those to you, or you can read with me. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord Always, in case you missed it, again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Listen, I mean, it's, he's got three right there. Boom, 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 just like that. The very first one he says is basically this. Be happy in Jesus. Re- rejoice in the Lord. And he says this crazy phrase, always Listen, if that does not sound new to you, it's because in the last 32 weeks, Paul has said this over and over and over again. Let me review some of those. Flip back to Philippians chapter 1 with me. I want you to see that this is clearly the theme in Philippians, being happy in Jesus or rejoicing or joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, talking about being in prison. He says, uh, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. So in other words, he's saying, listen, like no matter what's happening, no matter how much these dirtbags are trying to proclaim the gospel, not doing well, Jesus is being proclaimed, and that makes me happy. It makes me rejoice. Or Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, he says this, convinced of this, we're looking for this, how much he's saying rejoice or joy. He says this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I know I'm going to stick around so that you grow in the faith and that you're happy, that you're deeply happy in the faith. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord with another. See that word joy there again. Stop fighting. It would make me happy if you guys would be unified. Philippians 2, verse 17. Even if, and at verse 18 as well. But even if I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if I die, is what he says, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. In the very next verse, he says, likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice with me. Like he's saying, see it over and be happy, be happy, be happy that Jesus proclaimed. Make me happy by getting along. Like, I'm happy. I want you to be happy in the faith. Philippians chapter 2, verse 28, talking about sending Epaphroditus back. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Listen, over and over and over again, you see Paul say, I want you to be happy. So when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy in Jesus. And then chapter 4, verse 4, he says it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Listen, here's what's clear. Paul is telling the Philippians over and over and over and over again, I want you to be deeply happy in 
Jesus. I, I want him to make your hearts happy. I want him to make you sing. I want you to rejoice no matter what's happening around you. I want you to pursue with a reckless abandon happiness in Jesus. Listen, how different is that than what we hear sometimes at church? We're not told to be happy. It's almost like we're told to be sad, somber, serious. And listen, Christianity is deeply serious and deeply somber, but it's also deeply happy. Jesus makes us happy. So church, if you hear anything in the book of Philippians, I want you to hear this. Let yourself be recklessly happy in Jesus. I mean, in him and him alone. Don't pursue happiness in other things. Don't, don't try to find a cheap happiness in lesser things like in money or popularity or beauty or ease or success or power or anything else. I don't know what we would substitute to try to make ourselves happy, but, but our hearts will be lured away from happiness in Jesus and we'll try to be happy in a million other things. We'll even try to be happy in really good things, right? Like you'll try to be happy in your family and your kids, and having everything great at home. And listen, that's all fine and dandy, but your kids are not a good source of happiness, right? I have a two-year-old right now. I'm telling you, he's cute and awesome, but if he is only my source of happiness, then when the toddler crazy lever gets flipped, my happiness is getting rocked, right? Or when my kids graduate and leave the house or get married, where's my happiness then? And kids are and family are a great thing, but they're not a good thing to have your source of happiness. Listen, football is not a great place to have your source in happiness, right? Uh, some of us are feeling that this morning. Big time feeling it this morning, right? It's not a good source of happiness unless you win. And we don't always win, right? Like football is not a good source of happiness. E even ministry, here's the, here's the one that hits me. Do I try to find my happiness in the church growing bigger and bigger and bigger or doing more and more things? Is, is that, that looks like a really good thing, but it's an awful thing if it's my source of happiness. It, it's not a good savior. It's not a good source of happiness because quite frankly, the growth of the church in one sense is completely out of my control. I can't make you and me love Jesus. I can try to manipulate you with a really good story and maybe, I mean, there, there's certain passages, man, I can start going through and people are going to pray and cry and they don't want to go to hell. i got tons of those things and tons of stories. I mean, pastor doing that for years. If I'm not careful, I'll try to take it on my own. I'll try to manipulate you to love Jesus, thinking that'll make me happy, but it won't. It's out of my control. Listen, if if we pursue happiness in anything else besides Jesus as our ultimate source of happiness, then we're missing the essence of the Christian life. So, so church, I just want to remind you, pursue your happiness in Jesus. And when Jesus is what makes you happy, who can take your happiness away? Right? Like, listen, you can love your family and things are going great, but if they're not the ultimate source of your happiness... Listen, you're still happy in Jesus, and it just makes the happiness in your family even sweeter. But when things go wild in your family, when your marriage feels like it's on the rocks, when your kids feel like they're losing their ever-living mind, right, like they've become teenagers and God help us all, when they leave the house and they don't do what you want, 
when the in-laws aren't operating the way that makes you the most happy, but your happiness is ultimately in Jesus, right, guess what? You, you can still have happiness because it's sourced in Jesus. Listen, when COVID hits, and we've got to wear masks or not wear masks, when we've got to separate for six feet, when your job gets shaky or gone and income is getting reckless, when Jesus is your source of happiness, man, that COVID can't touch that. Listen, being happy in Jesus can't even be impacted when you mess up and you're wrapped up in sin. I mean, when you totally, when you royally mess everything up, when you wake up and, you, and it's months and you've been pursuing sin with reckless abandon, you wake up with all the regret and all the misery, and then you remember that Jesus died to forgive you of everything, everything, and he still looks at you with favor and offers you relationship. Listen, Listen, even your mess-ups can't take away happiness in Jesus. If it all comes crumbling down, if your spouse leaves you and your kids hate you, if your job goes bye-bye and your 401K tanks or whatever you have invested tanks because the economy is going crazy, listen, it doesn't matter what political party is in charge and everything is chaos around you, you can still be mourning, but there's one thing they can't take away, and it's happiness in Jesus. Listen, go hard after being happy in Jesus. Let's, let's be those people. That's Paul's command. Be happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he even says it a second time. I'm going to say it again, which isn't really the second time. It's like the eighth time he said it in the book of Philippians. Be happy in Jesus. Don't settle for any cheap substitutes. And I, I hope that's who we are. But there's something else he says here. He says this phrase there in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That, that word reasonableness, uh, it's really hard to translate into the English. Um, some translations don't say reasonableness. They say gentleness. I don't know what your version says, but it says, so which is it? Is it let your reasonableness be known to everyone or let your gentleness be known to everyone? I, as I started working on this word, it, there really is no English word that captures all of it. So I'm going to use paragraphs to explain a word. Uh, hopefully that, that makes sense to you. But, but here's the idea that's on here. One of them is that you're not insisting on every right that comes with the letter of the law or with custom. Okay, so in other words, what this reasonableness is, is saying, listen, I have this right, or custom expects, tradition expects everyone to act this way, and it's a person who's saying, I'm not insisting on every single right that I have. It, this is, the idea here is that it's someone who's gentle and kind and tolerant, even of suffering that comes their way. It, it was often, often used of judges and leaders, especially judges. When, they, when this word was used for them, here's what it meant. It referred to a judge who knew that if he operated by every teeny tiny letter of the law and he enforced the law with the utmost strictness, he could turn a good law into an unjust law that caused oppression. In other words, it was a judge that said, listen, I know that the rules say that you do this and you get this, this, and this, and I'm always going to do. You do this, 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 and this. It's what sometimes we think of justice, but it's the judge who says, there's sometimes I can show mercy and leniency. 
It's that type of thing. It's a judge who's reasonable. It's able to look at it. He says, listen, I'm for people. I want you to be well. I want you to receive mercy. It's not a judge who's a pushover and lets everyone get away with everything. It's a judge who enforces the law but also knows when to be lenient and merciful with the enforcing of the law. It's reasonable. It's it's balanced. It's for people. That, that's the idea that's in this word. So, so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, church, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness, your wisdom, your mercy, your being for people, your balanced approach to, to life and relationships and the law and the world, let that reasonableness, that gentleness be known to everyone. He uses this word in some other places. For example, it's actually a qualification for a pastor slash elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. When he tells Timothy, go find elders for all the churches and set that group of elders, he's saying, listen, one of the qualifications is that they would be reasonable. The word is actually gentle in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. Or Titus chapter 3, verse 2, Paul tells this to, to Titus for the church. I want you to teach people to do this. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says this, uh, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Remember, this is talking about Rome and Nero. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities who want to persecute them, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, reasonable, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Listen, it wasn't just an expectation of pastors, elders. It's an expectation that Paul wants pastor elders to teach all followers of Jesus to be this. As a matter of fact, James says something similar. James chapter 3, verse 17, talking about wisdom, says this, but wisdom that is from above, in other words, wisdom that God gives you is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, the word reasonable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. Listen, Paul says this, that he wants all of us to be reasonable. He actually says, listen, it should be obvious to everyone how reasonable followers of Jesus are. Hope you hear some of the irony of that. It should be obvious to everyone on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, whatever else we got going on, it should be obvious to everyone how reasonable and balanced and merciful and for people all followers of Jesus are. Huh. I wonder if that's practical today. Um, goodness, I mean, it's just shocking. And, and listen, just in case you get the wrong idea, here's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, listen, Come up with a good marketing scheme and figure out how to portray yourself as being reasonable. Figure out some way to make people think you're reasonable. It doesn't matter if you're really reasonable. Just make them think you're reasonable. This is not a political ploy by Paul. He's not calling for a good marketing scheme or a good service strategy that makes people think better of them. He's saying, no, your character needs to be this way. Make your character. Make who you are and how you live your life, everything about your life, make it be reasonable so that it's obvious to all. Not a marketing scheme, a true, real description of who we really are. Be those people and be it out loud in front of everyone. 
Be, be reasonable at work as a boss. Be reasonable at work as an employee. Be reasonable in your neighborhood, even in dealing with the HOA or the crazy lunatic neighbor that might be high on drugs. Be reasonable with your family, all of your family. That's probably better at Thanksgiving time when they're coming into town. Be reasonable at all your kids' ball games. When you're sitting in the stands and the umpire makes a call you don't like, good grief, be reasonable. Be reasonable on social media. Listen, I can't think of a time in my lifetime that the church in America needs to be known as reasonable more than we need to be known as reasonable right now. Even in an election cycle and dealing with a pandemic. Listen, church, I just want to be honest for a moment. And this isn't a shock. I'm not giving you new information. But to be quite honest, the church is not good at being reasonable. You look at the church as a whole in the South. I'll go south because that's where we're at. I can go to all of the United States. But can we just be honest about how we are? Like right now from the church, we hear people yelling things like, Black Lives Matter and defund the police. We hear people yelling at the same time, yelling back in the church and from the church, Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Some people in the church are saying, vote for Biden. No Christian could ever vote for Trump. And other people in the church are saying, vote for Trump. No Christian could ever vote for Biden. And all of that is coming out of the church. Listen, you might be thinking, okay, I'm not really comfortable with what you just said. I'm, I'm telling you what is being said from the churches in the southeastern United States right now. There is nothing reasonable about the way the churches, for the most part, are interacting on these topics. And we're not quiet about being unreasonable. We're loud, and we're vocal, and we're a little bit chippy about it. Listen, you may be thinking, but the other side is not being reasonable. They're liars and manipulators. They don't care about what Jesus wants. You can't fight these scumbags by being nice. We have to fight fire with fire. I just want to make two points to that. First of all, Paul did not tell the Philippians to be reasonable as long as the other people were reasonable back. He didn't say, be reasonable to sane people. He said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Second, do you think it's reasonable the way people were treating Christians in the Philippian church based on what I've told you, even remind you today? Paul was sitting in a Roman prison cell for being a follower of Jesus. The Philippians were in a city where people wanted to kill and arrest Christians. And Paul has the insanity to say, be reasonable to all of these lunatics. They want to kill you. They want to throw you in prison. They don't like you. They don't want you to exist. They will lie, cheat, steal, falsely accuse you, not give you a fair trial. They will throw you in prison just like they did to me when I was in Philippi. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let me just say it this way. 
Our reasonableness is not based on the actions of others. Our reasonableness is based on the work of Jesus. Can I say that? Our reasonableness is not based on the actions of those around us. Our reasonableness is based on the work of Jesus. Just th- think about this. Think about Jesus showing up. And listen, here's what's amazing. He didn't back off of the insanity around him. He called things what they were, right? He engaged the conversation. He didn't pretend like everyone was okay. He made it clear. But, but what ended up happening, Jesus was reasonable even to the point of death on a cross. Listen, church, he was, he was the perfect example of reasonableness. And the result of his reasonableness was our salvation. If he was not reasonable, gentle and patient and for people, let me put it that way. Do you think he endures all the beating and all the spitting and all the mocking and all the arrogant jerks setting up traps for him? No, listen, he was for people and gentle and merciful. He knew that everyone that dealt with him deserved to get a a hammer from the almighty God that lasted forever dropped on their head. He could have insisted on executing every point of justice on all of those people that rebelled against him and told him, we don't want you. But you know what he did? Showed mercy and for people and gentleness and reasonableness. He didn't insist on all of his rights. He endured the cross so that we would have the opportunity to be forgiven and have access to the Father. Listen, he's the ultimate picture of reasonableness. Philippians chapter 2 is a good example of that. Let me read these verses to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 8, 4 through 8, he says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is reasonableness fleshed out, is what I'm trying to say. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours already in Christ Jesus. Flesh this out. You already got it. But this is what Jesus was like. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to or to be clung to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be deeply reasonable. That is clear for everyone. As I, I just want to call us to that. I, I want to remind you, listen, it's not just that we're supposed to be that. It's that Jesus can actually make us those type of people. Listen, this is the power of the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross and come back to life and forgive us for being unreasonable. He died on the cross and came back to life to forgive us and to enable and empower us to be able to actually be this way. We can be this. This is the power of the gospel. He can change our hearts. He can change our thinking. He can help us actually be really and authentically reasonable in a way that's clear for everyone around us to see. 
And I believe if we'll learn to be reasonable, I'm not saying everyone will like it, but, but I believe it will be a good ornament on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, imagine if the church was the place that you could come in with all your insanity and craziness and baggage, and they would interact with you like they were for you. They didn't tolerate all the craziness, but they said, no, we're for you, and we might disagree on this stuff, but we want you here. We want you to feel the love and mercy of Jesus, and we want to see you changed. And we're not going to get sucked into the phrase of the chaos of the, the margins of our society. In a society that's becoming more splintered and more opinionated, and there's louder voices, more yelling on both sides and less listening on both sides, what does it look like to be among a people who listen to both sides and gently and wisely and lovingly address the issues that are being talked about with reasonableness. Man, I gotta be honest, that would almost seem shocking in our culture today. So let me ask, how do you think the city of Tallahassee experiences the church at North Florida Baptist Church? do you think that they would say that we are reasonable? Do you think that they would say that we are people who are deeply happy in Jesus? Do you think that our neighbors and family and coworkers and friends, would they say that you're reasonable? Would they say that you're deeply happy in Jesus? Listen, if, if the answer is no, can I, can I just throw something out there? Would you just ask Jesus to forgive you? This is real simple. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you be reasonable and be deeply happy in him. And the Bible says he'll help. The Bible says that the power that raised Jesus back from the dead is the power we have access to to help us obey and live like Jesus called us to live. Church, what I'm telling you is the gospel says it's possible. It's possible for you and me to be reasonable and deeply happy in Jesus if we will trust and rely on him and his work. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to give you a few moments of response. I want to have uh, the band come back up as we walk through a time of response before we go into our time of communion this is a time where I just want you to kind of do business with God on all the things he may have done in your heart. I don't know what he convicted you of. I don't, I don't know what he challenged you on. I don't know what things made you happy. But let me walk through some of them. Listen, have you been pursuing happiness in anything else besides Jesus? If the answer is yes, would you just simply confess that? Would you ask God to change your affections for him? Maybe you've been pursuing happiness in Jesus some, but you don't feel like it's enough. Just ask him to give you deeper affections for him. Let me ask the question this way, instead of just the beat down of guilt. Have you seen growth over the last year in your affections and love for Jesus? Listen, if the answer is yes to that, would you praise Jesus for working in your heart that you love him more today than you did six months or a year ago? That's his work. Praise him for it and ask him for more. 
listen, as far as being reasonable or for people, gentle, whatever word you want to use for that. Right in your seat, would you just pray for God to protect us in these turbulent times from getting sucked into being harsh or closed-minded? Listen, the language is too hot and too just coming at us a million miles an hour. We need his help to protect us from getting sucked into that. Would you also ask God to make us as a church, make us a, a church that are for people, that we're merciful, that we're balanced. Ask him to make us reasonable. finally, some of you here, listen, you may have been church your whole life, maybe you're just coming back to church or maybe you're just visiting today and I, I, I want to remind all of us here of the good news of Jesus that's the gospel, the thing that makes us deeply happy in Jesus and I want to invite you, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today right there in your seat, here's the good news the good news is simply this, that we have all rebelled against the loving and strong creator of the universe, we've rebelled against God by our thoughts, by our actions, by not doing what we knew was right. We've, we've done it all. And God, instead of giving us judgment and wrath, he sent his only son to come and live a perfect life that none of us could live. And he died on a cross. And on that cross, he took all of my failures and all of my shortcomings and all of my abilities and all of my broken and all of my sin. And he paid the penalty for all of it. And the Bible says he died and shed his blood for all of us. And he came back to life three days later. And here's what he offers. He says, listen, if you'll just place your trust in what I have done, not your own performance, not being good or clean. If you'll place your trust on what I have done and ask me to save you, repent of your sin and say, I'm, I'm done with that sin. I want you. I want to trust in you and only you. I can't do this. If you'll ask him to save you, listen, the Bible says he won't just forgive you of your sin. He'll forgive you of all your past sin, all your present sin, all your future sin. It also says he'll make you a son or a daughter. You're not an enemy anymore. He adopts you into his family and he gives you a new heart and he gives you his presence to help you live and obey everything in the Christian life. Listen, if you've never done that, can I invite you today, right here, right now in your seat, would you just simply repent and ask him to save you? And if, you, if you've done that, I just want to encourage you, please come and find one of us pastors at the end of the service. We'd love to talk to you about it. Or if you need to talk to someone, we'll be available at the end of the service. We would love to speak to you about your relationship with God or anything that God has done in your heart. Let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you see our hearts, <laughs> the good and the ugly. And you, you see our actions and our thoughts and our motives. You see everything about us. And God, you still, you still chose to die for us and to love us and to offer us relationships. So like I pray, God, would you do a work in my heart, all of our hearts, that we'd be deeply happy in that work of Jesus. God, make us, make us people who are happy in Jesus. God, you, you also, you see the rancor and the the volatile conversations that are happening around us. And God, it is hard not to get sucked into it because people say things, and God, just be honest, it makes us angry. It makes me angry. 
God, would you protect all of us from getting stuck in that? God, make us reasonable people that, that, that are actually reflect you in that. Help us not to be too lenient or too closed-minded. Help us to be exactly who you want us to be, God. Make us reasonable and gentle people who are for others. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.